Welcome to the worship and work of Northminster Church. The text this morning will ask us a question. That question is, to whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. So we come here this morning to gather in confirmation of that question. Where else can we find that for which our hearts ache and our souls long? Where else can we be moved and uplifted by such music? Where else can we go to find God's people in communion with each other here and now and in all times and places? Where else can we go and expect 
a word from God. Where else can we go to find a place whose only reason for existence is to glorify God? Let us worship the Lord in this place. How lovely is this place. Our spirits long for these courts of fellowship and communion. Our heart and our flesh cry out. We cry out to the Lord in our sorrows and in our joys. Happy is the one who, as a sparrow finds its nest, finds a resting place in God's house. Thanks be to God.
gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and summoned the elders, the head, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Now therefore revere the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Now if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight. He protected us along all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. This is one of our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, the great deliverer of people, deliver the people fleeing Afghanistan as you delivered your people Israel. Prevail against the power of brutality, oppression, and exploitation. Set all your people free from the bondage of totalitarianism of thought, word, deed, or society. Liberate us, O Lord, for life together in joy and celebration. O God, you have created a world and called it good. Use us as instruments of that good, especially for those whose experience of life feels so bad. We pray to you, O Lord, for we have nowhere else to go. You have the words of life. You are the word of life. Amen.
Hear now the reading of the gospel according to John in these words of Jesus. Before you do, fasten your seatbelts. Jesus said, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which our ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in a synagogue at Capernaum. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was to betray him. And he said, for this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. May the Lord bless the reading of the word, increasing its knowledge and understanding in our hearts. Thanks be to God. I can't watch horror shows. Monsters scare me. I remember watching a movie with my best buddy cousin in our den. It was repurposed from Billy's Beauty Shop, so it smelled like permanent solution. This monster in the midst of those fumes was from Mars and had oscillating tentacles of terror. I had to go to the bathroom. Being 10 years old, I did my business without turning on the light. And then I heard it, a scratchy pitter-patter on the bathtub next to me. I turned on the light only to see a giant centipede in the tub. This was Arkansas, folks, so. I screamed, Mom, Dad, come quick. There is a monster in the bathtub. Dad came to the rescue and dispatched the monster with a pair of baseball bats, which was as frightening as the monster itself when he did it. So I just say no to horror movies or TV shows. I mean, my son and I even had to leave gremlins when those little monsters started jumping out everywhere. 
I tell you all this to let you know I'm not a fan of the horror genre, and I'm not into all the popular zombie and vampire books or movies. I just say no to gore. Now, I do have to admit that my son did show up in downtown San Francisco as a part of a flash mob of zombie apocalypse, but for me, I don't want any part of it. So I kind of understand in a way the followers of Jesus when they heard him say that they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. I get why they were offended. How could the master say something that revolting? This is not what they signed up for. So they unfollowed Jesus as quickly as they followed him. What a friend we had in Jesus. They unfriended him at that point. Click. And can you blame them? Jesus really did tell them, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. It is right there in the B-I-B-L-E, and that's the book for me. Taken literally, this passage, along with so many others, conjures up horrifying images of flesh-eating zombies and blood-sucking vampires. Although the residents of Galilee in the first century knew of no zombie apocalypse of Walking Dead nor Dracula Castle in Transylvania preparing the way for the twilight romance for those who were willing to stick their necks out, many were offended by these shocking declarations. They turned away from Jesus and his hard sayings. And word got out that Christians practiced human sacrifice, cannibalism, blood drinking. Part of the rationale given for persecution of the early church was this persistent misrepresentation. Sounds kind of like QAnon conspiracies of the time. It still offends many of us to talk about a ghoulish cup of blood and a ripped chunk of flesh at the Lord's table. We still don't get it. In fact, the understanding of the meaning of communion, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper of the Eucharist, has been violently debated through ages and has arguably been the most divisive issue in the history of Christendom. To some, the elements of communion become the actual physical blood and body of Jesus Christ, the mystery of a transformation, a sacrament, a means of grace, where something happens that changes you as, as you partake of the Eucharist. To some, the elements are merely symbols, kept as an ordinance or a mandate established by the actions of Jesus. And between these two sides are notions that Jesus is really actually physically present in the totality of communion and the belief that Jesus is really actually spiritually present in the elements. When we eat the bread, we're actually really spiritually fed and incorporated into Christ. When we drink the wine, we're actually really spiritually revived and renewed in God's love in Christ. I don't know about you, but I want something to happen to me when I come to the table 
of our Lord. And it changes over the years, hasn't it? When I was growing up, they passed around little shot glasses, you know, of the wine. Well, it wasn't wine. It was Welch's grape juice, for sure, where I had it. And they passed around an unleavened uh, wafer kind of thing for us to eat. I love the way we have done this here with a, a, a cup of communion, a single cup, and a loaf of bread. But that's not possible anymore. And so we come as we come now. But the meaning of communion stays the same no matter what manner in which we come. And I want grace to happen to me. I don't want to just know about the mystery of grace. I want to know the mystery of grace. I want to walk out of here different than when I came in. Now since we celebrate communion each week, we may think about communion more than others who break bread less often, even one as, even some as seldom as once a year having communion. Or we may take it for granted because we gather so often and so regularly. When the followers of Jesus heard this hard saying about his body and blood, they had no idea of what they were all to face. But we know all too well. His body was broken. His blood was poured out. Now blood and flesh make our contemporary sensibilities shudder. We prefer a sanitized ceremony with clean farm-to-table elements. But could such brutal and bloody images be important to convey the deadly seriousness of the sacrifices of the cross? I'm not going to try to solve centuries of divisive church controversy or try to explain things away. All I can say is, when faced with this, when faced with the words of Jesus, don't go away. Don't throw a fit and leave Jesus just because you don't get what he's saying. On the contrary, the more you're offended, the more you don't understand, the more you doubt, the more you can learn and know and grow if you turn to the Spirit of God in Christ instead of turning away. If you hold fast to the one who confounds you. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Remind yourself that this text and any text is not to be interpreted literally, but literarily. When read as literature, the nuances and intricacies of the Bible's rich figures of speech can be explored. So ask yourself the question, what bugs you about the Bible. What did Jesus do or say that doesn't really jibe with you? What do you not get that really gets to you? Oh, you know that take up your cross and follow me doesn't mean nail two pieces of wood together, put wheels on it, hit the road to God knows where. We've seen people doing that. That's not really what it means, is it? But what does it mean to you, if anything, to take up your cross? Or should we take such arcane ideas and relegate them to museums or to churches which have themselves already become museums? Do we jettison the image altogether if we can't accept the literal meaning? 
Or could we not reimagine the concept of the cross literarily with all the tools of literary criticism? Could the cross for us become transformed into the act of selfless love we're called to display each day? The resurrection bugs many people. Too miraculous. All the miracles bug some people. But that one's the big one. Most miraculous. Is there a way to resurrect the resurrection for our day? Could the resurrection be a cosmic event beyond our human imagination and only accessible to the spiritual imagination, the spirit and the life to which Jesus referred? Does getting saved get to you? Instead of you getting it? Well, then watch. Watch how getting saved can be reimagined as the restoration of shalom. Salvation is shalom, wholeness to all creation. What about hell itself? Does hell bug you? Then you might want to try to reimagine it. This is the way I've reimagined hell, given my background and upbringing. It's called Hellfire Fizzle brimstone burnout conceived in fire and brimstone I thrived upon the heat relishing every condemnation hungry for each hellish threat I hovered on Hades rim badgered belittled and content guilt surging through each limb until all my sinfulness was spent the grace of God began to drizzle the love of God sprinkled about I watched the hellfire fizzle and saw the brimstone burn out. Sometimes I missed the pain of seeing myself ready to fry and the pleasure I would gain from an enemy's eternal sigh. But something else takes its place, a greater thrill than even hell, the painful pleasure of God's face framed in the story I tell. When you put hell into proper perspective, you realize that a text without a context is a pretext. Interpreting the Bible literarily allows you to discover the context linguistically, historically, culturally, theologically, philosophically, psychologically, sociologically. I remember spending the greater part of three days in a library shared by several denominational seminaries in Chicago. I was engaged in the study of one Hebrew word, Israel. Now, this was pre-Google. Folks, we had it hard back in our day. You think it'd be rather simple to find the etymology of a common word like Israel? But come to find out, when it comes to word origins, the more common the word, the more difficult it is to analyze. Familiar means obscure. In all its permeations, the word comes to mean one who contends with God. The Israelite fights with God. The Jew takes God seriously enough to get mad at God, like Jacob wrestling with God on the riverbank, only to emerge wounded and limping but alive and ever more faithful. Like the psalmist who cries, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or like Jesus on the cross, echoing the very same cry. Even the nomenclature of the Bible as the word of God causes some to run screaming, zombies and vampires, 
offended by the antiquated language which is lost on educated believers such as themselves. Well, what about instead of replacing the word with words of lesser weight, what about digging deeper into the word? Perhaps the word is more, not less, than you imagine. The liberating word of God meeting us in our world in acts of justice and mercy. The proclaimed word of God meeting us in worship through preaching and music and liturgy. The written word of God meeting us as we hear the word read corporately or study it individually. The living word of God in Jesus Christ who embraces all creation. Instead of seeing traditional language as a limitation, it can be seen as an occasion for reimagining. Do not fear the zombies and vampires, the monsters of slavish literal interpretation and rigid reactionary readings. They don't get it. They don't get what Jesus is saying. But you don't get it either. If you are so offended at what Jesus says that you turn away another way. The truth is that progressives like us can be equally offended as fundamentalists when it comes to the hard sayings of Jesus. In fact, if it's not hard for us to hear what Jesus demands, we, have may, we may have not fully heard what Jesus demands. And when we are offended, confused, frustrated, wounded, desperate, we have only one recourse, and that's not to run or to deny. It's to do what the twelve did that day in Galilee. They turned to the one who was the source of the offense, as well as the solace for all their offenses. Where can we go to get away from the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ? We can only throw ourselves on God's tender mercies, as portrayed in this poem by English metaphysical poet John Donne from his Holy Sonnets. He entitles it, Batter My Heart, Three-Personed God. Batter my heart, three-personed God, for you as yet but knock, breathe, shine, and seek to mend, that I may rise and stand or throw me and bend your force to break, blow, burn, and make me new. I, like a usurped town to another do, labor to admit you, but oh, to no end. Reason your viceroy in me, me should defend, but is captive and proves weak or untrue. Yet dearly I love you, and would be loved fain, but am betrothed unto your enemy. Divorce me, untie or break that knot again, take me to you, imprison me, for I accept you enthrall me, never shall be free, nor ever chaste except you ravage me. Amen.
I have a couple of things to mention as far as opportunities for you to serve and so forth. But before that, I have a profession and then I have an apology. I did say profession, not confession. The profession is that I am so thankful to be part of a group of people where each is a minister. Each has the opportunity to serve in their own way with their own talents. And this group does that in bushels. We are 18 months into a pandemic, something that is new for all of us. I see this group of people here today, and I see four generations deep. Fortunately or unfortunately, I get to anchor one part or one end <laughs> of those four. We have people who step up and do. And because we all are ministers, the apology is I can't call their names out individually because we don't do that here. We don't embarrass, but we are thankful. And for those people who have stepped up in these 18 months to keep us what we are, doing what we do in professing what we profess in this community, thank you. Now for a, a few opportunities. All of the commissions are doing their job. 
They're reaching out to you, they're reaching out to the community, and they are being the missionaries that they choose to be. We have those people who come and prepare the service for us. This doesn't magically happen. One of the things are the beautiful cut flowers that we have every week. And you have the opportunity after the service to take some of those home with you and enjoy them or take them to someone who would appreciate them. They would love that and love you for bringing it. You have an opportunity to give to the church. There are those who have the opportunity to do it personally, then there are those who have the opportunity to do it monetarily. To do it monetarily, there is a plate at the entrance of the auditorium. You can place a donation there. You can go online to Northminster or northmen.org slash give, go to the PayPal app and make your contribution there. Thank you for your service. Thank you for all that you do. And gee whiz, I wish I could have applauded so many times this morning with the great presentation of music and talent and sermon and all. And now, back to you. Yeah. 